Hello, and welcome to this Tulsa edition of the Low Key Podcast. Now, if you haven't got your Low Key swag, go get it at www.lowkeypodcast.com and get yourself a t shirt. This episode is sponsored by Justin's. Justin's creates a nut butter that's naturally delicious with flavors like honey, maple, vanilla, and my personal favorite, chocolate. Now, if you have a sweet tooth, go try their peanut butter cups, which come in white chocolate and dark chocolate. So go to Justin's and get a tasty treat. Now, without further ado, Justin Carpenter, the owner of Foolish Things Coffee. It's nice. It's easy. It's low-key. Hey guys, and welcome to the Low Key Podcast. I'm here with Justin Carpenter with Foolish Things Coffee. How you doing, man? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on. You're kind of the first person that, that got me into coffee oh, and really brought me into coffee, so I'm really excited to have you on. So it's, it's, um, it's really exciting. Well, this is a blast for us. We've been keeping up with what you've been doing, and we're so excited for this podcast and uh, everything that you're doing for the, especially food and drink industry, this is a lot of fun. Yeah. So you guys just had your five-year anniversary. Yes. Kind of tell us your your journey and how the, um, the the five years have been. Yeah, I mean, I think just like any new coffee shop owner, we were uh, very idealistic in the beginning, and I think we still retain a lot of that. Uh, but we really wanted to just create space for community to happen. Uh, and for us to pursue ultimately what motivates us, which is hospitality and craft. And I think so much of the time you have two ends of the spectrum. You have the pretentious coffee shop who cares all about the product and is uh, snobbish when it comes to the people, or you have the, the more local, more bohemian-type coffee shop that really, really does hospitality well. Um, and maybe is lacking a little bit in the, the craft aspect. Yeah. Uh, and we wanted to marry those two things. We wanted to serve the best product available uh, friendly Yeah. If that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, you guys have, have become, like, one of my staple homes as a coffee shop for me. Like, I, I constantly, like, consider this one of my homes. Thank you. Because um, I constantly come here a lot and it's 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 created an environment of community and a place to learn about coffee yeah which is really cool yeah i mean coffee's our backbone it's it's definitely something that um it's one of those industries that because it's still so young uh there's a lot of opportunity for education and for um sharing our passion with other people but it's not just for the people who already know about it but it's it really is something that has so much depth to it that people kind of take for granted uh it's just a fun a fun place to explore curiosity yeah and um it's accessible right like if you want to if you want to do cocktails to get into cocktails is relatively expensive but to get to get um i don't know to go down the rabbit hole when it comes to coffee while it can be expensive uh, it's a lot more accessible and i think that the baristas love 
talking about what they're passionate about. So yeah, how how did you start Polish Things? Um, so I wanted to open a cafe since I was in high school, um, and it was mainly motivated by that community aspect, um, and it was something that I talked about to my now wife in college, and we had always thought that it was something that we do, you know, after we retired or we were established or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, but the opportunity came up for this building, and, and we jumped at the opportunity to help kind of be a pioneer in redeveloping a neighborhood. That's um, awesome. And so it started with community first, uh, and then because I am relatively curious and very obsessive, uh, it morphed into we want to serve the best coffee available, and mm-hmm. we want to share that with people. So that's... I mean, that's what we started out to do, and that's what I think we continue to do. And, um, yeah, every day is a new fun adventure, whether it be leveraging this place to help redevelop the neighborhood or um, just building friendships with people. Or, you know, honestly, for me, I, I see my role um, as an owner, as support staff. Like, my, I'm not, I don't have any illusions of being the expert when it comes to coffee or food or whatever my job as an owner is to empower the people who work here to do their best work uh, and give them freedom to go as far down the rabbit hole as they can or want to go that's awesome Um, and I think that I don't know it's worked out for us and that's that's why I do what I do is to to let our people explore give them the freedom to explore yeah was there was there any like hardships in starting Foolish Things? Or what What do you think was the biggest struggle for you in starting Foolish Things? Um, I mean, I think with any new business owner, it's naivety, right? Like, you, you have all these ambitions and you think you're going to take over the world. Um, but after five years, you learn that to be successful, you really have to grind it out. And yeah. day in and day out, you work your tail off to uh, try and actualize what you're passionate about. And I think the difference between, and, and there's there's anomalies obviously everywhere, but the difference mm-hmm. between the businesses that are successful in the wrong, long run and the ones that are less successful is um, <laughs> the owner's pain tolerance, I guess, yeah. and, and willingness to uh, willingness to just grind it out. Um, so yeah, I think that. I think that if I could go back and tell myself anything, it'd be be prepared to play the long game because yeah. ultimately, not just from from an operation standpoint, but from a philosophy standpoint, this space is not about Justin Carpenter. The space I want foolish things to be, and it's supposed to be bigger than me. It, it's I want this place to be an institution that is good for the city after I'm gone, and I know that's really ambitious for any business, much less a restaurant. Um, but yeah, that's that's what motivates us. That's awesome. That's a really awesome mentality to have and really inspiring and encouraging. Thanks. Um, you guys are kind of one of the staples, I feel like, that started kind of the coffee movement with Topeka and, and um, Double Shot. Yeah. Um, how have you seen Tulsa's coffee scene grow? Yeah, I think it's... So, uh, yeah, when we first opened, um, there were the only two roasters in town. And I think that we were, to your point, yeah, we were one of the first brick-and-mortar 
uh, cafes in downtown. There was, um, Topeka had the two hotels, and then uh, dwelling spaces had a little espresso bar in it, but we were the first um, cafe, proper cafe in downtown. Um, and I think that, to step back, I think that Tepec and Double Shot have done an incredible job of um, articulating a local coffee scene in Tulsa that, that you know, it's a testament to them that there wasn't a, a Starbucks uh, north of, I think, 15th Street or Utica Square, which <clears throat> for a long time. Um, but I think that uh, we had an opportunity to step in and really explore the multi-roaster space. Yeah. Um, and try and make coffee egalitarian. And I think that we have seen over the past five years, you know, the biggest difference that I've seen is when we first opened, nobody knew what a pour-over is. Yeah. And not to stereotype, but now we have people who look like they just got off a third shift welding and will come in and know exactly what they want when they order a pour-over. And it's fun that the standard of the the majority of people, I would say, has risen over the last five years. And so, I, I don't know, I love it. I think that... I think competition breeds excellence, and um, we're in a place now where people really do care about what they're drinking, and yeah. um, we're, we're less and less having to work on persuading people, and more and more uh, able to grin to ourselves when people actually recognize how much care we put into the product. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I feel like I used a lot of words to say <laughs> it's okay. It's improved. <laughs> I, I think for me, like, I learned from here what specialty coffee was, and that that was that. That's one of the testaments is you guys taught me. What I, I may not know 100 percent what it is because coffee's constantly changing. Right. So, but I think this was one of the first places that I stepped into, and was like specialty coffee over regular coffee and then I started enjoying the differences between taste and flavor yeah well and I think one of the things that we again this goes back to trying to make coffee accessible uh, like you said there's always new innovations and there's always changes and all this kind of stuff and we really try and instead of following trends we really try and say okay what has longevity uh, and what is going to ultimately give us um best landmarks for what people can experience when it comes to coffee. Um, And so for us, it's about, okay, what is the best expression of uh, a heavier body uh, brew method, which we serve an AeroPress? And then what is the the best expression of the lightest um, or most delicate body coffee? And we do that as a chemist. And so... Um, we really, really try and simplify and reduce down to the, the most essential elements, what, what makes for good coffee, and then really try and spend our time in that space and, and educate people on why we make those decisions. And again, I think this goes back to kind of the long game model of why we run this place is I'm not motivated by following trends. I really want to do the things as as the coffee industry develops, I want to do the things that have um, that have longevity, um, because I think ultimately that's 
it, again, it comes back to the grinded out philosophy of like that's where you find what has what has legs and what doesn't. And yeah. Yeah. We're, we don't tend to <laughs> chase trends. Yeah. So, um, what made you decide to become a multi roaster over a roast roaster? Um. I think a lot of it has to do with. I mean, there's a couple different things. We when we first opened, we had a one-year non-compete with uh, Tepeka, and they they're a phenomenal roaster. They do. Uh, they trained all of our staff, uh, helped us with a whole host of um, whether it be equipment or bar layout or different types of education type things. Uh, and so we love Tepeka. We think that. We think they're awesome for this city. Um, but we also were starting to get samples in just randomly from roasters across the country. That's awesome. Um, and so we kind of had a philosophy chain that says, look, while we are always going to be indebted to Tobacco, we, to, um, we want to show Tulsa the, the breadth of coffee across the country. Um, because there are so many great roasters across the U.S. that don't get as much publicity as, say, like an Intelligence Hero, Stumptown, or Blue Bottle. Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to showcase the folks that do a great job that people haven't necessarily heard of before. Yeah. Um, and so I think, it, I think it was a little bit out of, um, not boredom, that's not a good word for it, but I think it had to do with curiosity and opportunity and it just kind of went from there and just it happened pretty organically it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a okay this is what we're going to do we're going to change and pivot or whatever it was it was a lot more casual than that yeah that's really cool what what is your process in deciding like which roaster I'm going to choose and how is your relationship with some of the roasters yeah um, so we try and stick Ultimately, this doesn't sound narcissistic, but we don't we don't really even entertain conversations with people unless the coffee is particularly delicious. Uh, and then from that point, we see who is looking to just add an account and who really wants to build a relationship with us. Uh, and then also variety. I mean, we're not going to try and get five different coffees from the Midwest, we're going to try and span the, yeah. the coast. Um, but yeah, a lot of it comes down to that relationship of who do we like working with and who do we see as passionate about the same things that we're passionate about, because uh, we want to work with those people. Yeah, that's cool. Was there any, during the building up of Foolish Things, was there any roaster or coffee shop that inspired you, or coffee shop that still inspires you to this day? Oh, that's a great question. Um, locally, I think the reason that I'm passionate about how community can happen through coffee was Shades of Brown. I mean, they've been around forever. They've been around since I was in high school, and they were always that place that, you know, if you wanted to go have an intimate conversation with a friend, you'd go there. Uh, yeah. And so, like, from a... From a um, from a hospitality standpoint, I think those guys do a really great job. Um, on a 
on a national level. I think less individual shops, per se, um, and more more markets. So I look at like the Kansas City market, um, and one of the things that's so inspiring to me about how Kansas City operates is the degree of camaraderie in that city. That for a long time, the only roasters, the only roaster really was the roastery, uh, and then oddly correct came around, and then. Dalmea started roasting and then Second Best started roasting um, and we've been able to build some relationships with people in the city in Kansas City and they all are working toward making coffee great for Kansas City Yeah. Um, and so instead of being super competitive with each other and petty they're all working towards at least from an outsider's perspective yeah. they're, all, <laughs> they're all working for the common good of uh, refining the palate of coffee of Kansas City, uh, and so from a from a system standpoint, I really really look up to how they've been able to create a reputation in a relatively. I mean, the Midwest is not known for excellence in coffee, and I think that Kansas City now has a reputation of being great coffee in the heartland. Um, I have to think of specific shops though. <laughs> I'm sure they're out there, but you put me on the spot. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, I think it's great. Yeah. Um, what's your personal favorite brew method, if you favor one? Yeah, um, I, I really love the V60, honestly. It's, it's so straightforward and it's so simple, and you can do so many different things with it. Um, and it's timeless. I think that of all brew methods, the the standard pour over has stood the test of time. And I think that because it tends to highlight uh, whether it's heavy bodied coffees or light bodied coffees, whether it's fruit forward coffees or really um, straightforward earthy acid bodies, or excuse me, coffees, it really does a good job of, of uh, bringing out the best in coffee. Now, there's always going to be exceptions. Um, but I think that, at least for me, it's the most fair brew method to every coffee that you can put in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't, it <coughs> isn't necessarily, it, it's a super dynamic brew method for all kinds of different coffees, and that's why I like it. Yeah, um, V60 and AeroPress is probably my favorite too. Yeah, yeah. Because it's just, I think it brings out the truest flavor out of it yeah. in the coffee. So. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, what would you say if there is any regions or do you prefer or do you like getting coffee from or enjoy? Yeah, so lately, I mean, it always changes, yeah. um, but lately, Rwandan and Kenyan coffee are really interesting. I, I get the sense that's like asking a beer snob what their favorite beer is and them saying an IPA, right? Like, yeah. okay, of course that's going to be the beer snob's favorite. Um, but I, I really like bright, acidic, like tomato-y, vegetal-type flavors. Um, and so those tend to those tend to favor that type of uh, flavor profile. Um, we got some... We got a 
Canyon Inn from Cartel uh, a few weeks ago that was really good. It's super different than any canyon we got in in a while. It, it was a little bit more heavy-bodied and had a little bit more fruit on it. It was almost like... Um, like fig almost hmm. um, it was really really delicious just because it's so different than what I expected but yeah for, for me if if I go into a shop and I see a Kenyan or a Wanda on the menu I usually go there first hmm. is there an espresso drink you like more than others I I'm going to be the stereotypical coffee snob and say just a double shot okay I, I, <laughs> yeah I'll be I'll be typecast. Sure. <laughs> I was just gonna ask you too. Is there is there any flavor profile that you're preferring do, that you prefer over others or? Uh yeah, I, I would say that like acid probably is like a high citrus, high acid is my favorite right now. Um, but I I really like. Ultimately, it's about balance and depth of flavor. If if it's dynamic, then. Uh, I'm going to like that best. If it's just straightforward and acidic, I'm not going to like that as much as something that may be a little bit more like chocolatey or nutty and finishes with... It. For me, the thing that I get most excited about is something with the depth of flavor that it develops as you drink it. Yeah. Um, so maybe I should go back and revise what I said earlier. If it's complex and it develops, then that's what I like best. Um, but if there was a single flavor profile, yeah, I'd say more citrus or vegetal acidity. Mm, those are always good. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you see the coffee industry going? And um, if, if you have an opinion on it. Yeah. Um, and where do, you, where do you hope to see Foolish Things um, be or go in the coffee community? Um, that's a lot no I think it's good I think that I think that coffee right now um, I'm not going to say this in absolute terms but coffee tends to be a little siloed right now um for, and I, I look at this if you blow out a thousand feet um, it seems like in the, the dining industry you have restaurants that take a cocktail program really seriously Yeah. And so you have fine dining and you have craft cocktails and those meld really well together um, and I think that in a lot of restaurants um, the coffee program is usually run by a curate um, because it's convenient, anybody can make it. I, I think there's a trend in adopting specialty coffee in restaurants, but I would like specialty coffee to become a bit more mainstream. So I think I see the coffee industry moving in a direction that is more closely associated with um, craft food and beverage as opposed to being kind of its own, on its own island um, because I think that that's the direction that it needs to go. So to the question of where do I see foolish things uh, participating in the future of this or our growth, I, we do have some projects on the horizon uh, 
have that are a little bit too early to talk about. Uh, yeah, that's okay. But, uh, yeah, as soon as we get a little bit closer, I'd love to talk to you about it. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't ever see us necessarily roasting. But we, we really want to participate in, uh, in establishing coffee as part of a, a fine dining experience. Or even... Not necessarily even fine dining, but just responsible dining or thoughtful dining. Yeah. To, to incorporate that so that it's not, okay, there's the coffee shops and then there's the restaurant for the bar program. For it to be a lot more holistic. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think that's where I see coffee growing, is, is it to be synonymous with thoughtful eating and drinking as opposed to separate and on an island in that same thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Okay. Um, what do you think for you separates your shop from other shops? Uh, I think it's that emphasis on hospitality, honestly. I think that, uh, I think that the one thing, I think we've moved into a time where uh, serving great product is ubiquitous. Yeah. Um, and and to be successful, it's not just about good product. It's about how you're willing to uh, to serve that product and engage people who are curious about that product. Um, and and that's that's where I think we're we're great. Is we serve as good a coffee as anybody else, um, but we strive to be engaging and thoughtful and hospitable. Um, and I think that for this time and place, that's unique. Um, I don't think this is any conversation that hasn't happened on the east or west coast. Yeah. Where coffee is, good coffee is the bare minimum to opening up a concept. Um, but I think we have an opportunity because we are now five years in, we've built our reputation, we we have a degree of seniority in yeah. the city. That's where that's where I think we compete, and that's where I think we can really encourage, uh, or we can help grow the the industry in that direction in, in this market. Yeah, that's really cool. What what would your advice be if somebody wanted to start up like a small business or a coffee shop? Um, I, I think the biggest thing is to, to try it out. I mean, honestly, if, if it's a barista who has been in the industry for a while and wants to open their own shop, um, that's one thing. If it's somebody who's passionate about business and doesn't know anything about the restaurant industry, that's a different thing altogether. What I would say is, and this is something that I've learned, a lot over the last five years is that um, there's kind of this there's kind of this ingrained structure or, or growth path for most people that, that I don't think is necessarily the most helpful but that you start out as uh, a dishwasher or a grunt and you work your way up to a bar back and then you work your way up to a barista and then a shift lead and then a manager and then the next hurrah is to be a coffee shop owner. Yeah. Um, and 
and I think that there is something to be said for that, not to say that being a coffee shop owner isn't great. I love it. I would never do anything else. Um, but you have to be able to separate being a technician from being a business owner. Okay. Um, and being an expert technician, while that can be incredibly fulfilling, if you also burden that person with the responsibility of running a business, and, and running a business takes a lot of time and effort and energy. Yeah. If your passion is not business or business strategy or caring about cash flow or accounting or inventory, like, those are the things that make or break a business. And, and the technical side of it, serving drinks, making great coffee, pursuing the craft, that is the outlet for that business to express itself. Yeah. Um, and I think so much of the time people think that if I'm passionate about coffee, my next phase of growth is to open my own shop. And, and I would challenge people to really consider that that's not the most effective way to look at it, that, that running a business is a completely different animal than being a great technician. And if you're passionate about coffee and don't really care about the business side, work your way up as the best technician you can be. Compete. Move to a bigger market. Learn to be, uh, learn to be the best at, at the craft that you can be. Yeah. Um, because so much of being an owner is managing other people and managing resources. And, and if that's not your skill set or that's not your passion, then you're going to find yourself in a place where you're miserable and wishing you were doing the, the technical thing that got you passionate about the product in the first place. Um, and so that's what I would say is really assess, like if you're, if you're considering opening a new business, really consider what it is that you're passionate about. If it's the craft itself, then take a beat and see if, see if the, the administrative side is fulfilling or if it's fingernails on the chalkboard. And even managing people, if that's fulfilling your fingernails on the chalkboard. Um, and if it's something you're curious about or you're passionate about, then go for it and get ready to have more stress and anxiety and sleepless nights than you ever signed up for. Yeah. But at the same time, some of the more fulfilling time you can invest. Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of, from conversations on this podcast with, um, with coffee owners, with brewery owners or like food owners that they've there there's there's some of them that have fallen in love with the business and then there's some of them that they they became they were passionate about their craft but then eventually like they clashed with the business side and they gave them more sleepless nights and it was harder mm -hmm. because they didn't know they weren't passionate about the business side mm -hmm. as much as they were um the other side because you have to have that yeah so well and i think that that's uh that's where I would say that I'm a little bit different. Uh, that I didn't start out as a technician. That my passion is business, and I've always been obsessed with hospitality and how food brings people, food and drink brings people together. Absolutely. And so I wanted to pursue business in an industry that was very 
hands-on with people. Um, sitting at a desk is like figuring out how to chalk work. Yeah. And I wanted, I wanted to do something that was fast-paced. I wanted to do something that that expressed value to other people. And and I fell in love with coffee, like I said, when I was in high school. And and so for me, the business and systems came first, and found an outlet in coffee. Uh, and, and I love it. I, I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing, and I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, you're an advocate for Tulsa. You love Tulsa. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I feel like you're one of the biggest advocates I know for Tulsa. Good. Um, well, not good. I wish there were bigger advocates than me for Tulsa. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what would you say, why should people move to the city, and why do you love the city so much? Um... Yeah, well, I grew up here. It's my hometown, and so I, I have a little bit of bias there. Um, but I did go to school, college outside of Chicago, live in Kansas City for a while. My wife and I love traveling, and we do always come back, whether it's traveling internationally or just across the U.S. and big markets, small markets, whatever. We do find ourselves coming back and saying, okay, those places are cool to visit, but I prefer Tulsa. Um, and I think there's a couple things. It's a small-ish market uh, that has a, a big city swagger, at least in the downtown and midtown area. Yeah. Um, where the passionate people really, really care about what they're doing. Um, and, you know, when we opened five years ago, there wasn't a whole lot going on in downtown. There was, the momentum had started, uh, but it, I wouldn't necessarily say it had started accelerating. Yeah, um, and so being able to open a shop as its downtown is developing is uh, thrilling, and, and to be part of that development. And, and the thing that I love about Tulsa is the degree of separation between me and the mayor, or me and people in city hall, or me and other restaurant tours is very small, whereas if you were in, say, Denver, Kansas City, or Chicago, or whatever it may be, your actual impact on the community is going to be a bit smaller, or a bit more challenging. Yeah. Um, and so I love Tulsa. I want to see it do well, because I think that if you're willing to work hard, um, people... People want to support people that are passionate, and Tulsans are very proud of Tulsans. And so, if you're if you're a relatively decent human being, even if you're not a decent human being, people are going to want to support you because they're it's Tulsa, and they want to support our own. Um, and, and for people who are who've never been here or want to visit, I, I think that. Um, I think our culture is a lot more dense than the population suggests, um, and and it shows. It's it's wanting to become a more walkable community. It's wanting to do the right things to make this city fulfilling to anybody who lives here. And so Tulsa, it seems like, is ingrained uh, with self improvement. Um, I can't say that I know from experience other markets, but 
it feels unique that Tulsa, as as a whole, wants to improve every single day the way that it does with it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I kind of I kind of get that vibe too. That like it's constantly transitioning or constantly wanting to improve and to kind of be more cultured or be more in the arts and stuff and then be more community-based. Well, and even, too, just from a social standpoint, I think that you look at... I think that Tulsa has the opportunity to see how other markets have um, grown in a way that's not necessarily as helpful. So, like, we're, we're in a time and place where because downtown and the neighborhoods are growing we have the opportunity to, to say thoughtfully, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to deal with gentrification? Or how are we going to deal with race relations? We have a really terrible past. Uh, and, and there's some stuff that we need to sort out. And, and I think a lot of the downtown business owners and, and a lot of the community is very passionate about saying, look, we have a really ugly history and we need to deal with it honestly as opposed yeah. to sweeping it under the rug. I mean, you see the uh, Brady Arts District renaming after, um, well, here in, in recent days because Tate Brady was such a dirtbag and was part of the KKK and all this kind of stuff. But yeah. but that, the, that some of the neighborhoods in downtown are willing to step into the tension of saying, like, yeah, we have, we have an ugly history. Let's do something about it. Yeah, um, I think that too is that too is a testament to how Tulsa is willing to improve every day by by actually acknowledging where we're falling short, and and we don't do it perfectly, obviously. Like, yeah, nobody does, and I'm not going to say that we are where we should be by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, um, but I think we at least try to be aware of it and try to affect change with the resources that we have. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Well, how would how would people see what you guys are up to or your social mediums, what, what you guys are up to and whatnot? Yeah, so you can find us uh, on Facebook. I think if you just search Foolish Things Coffee, uh, our handle on Instagram is Foolish Coffee. Uh, we have a Twitter, but I think it's been years since we've posted anything, so <laughs> if you're looking for new information, I wouldn't go to Twitter, but we, we spend a lot of time on Instagram, so Foolish okay. Coffee on Instagram is a good place to start. Okay, and where are you guys located? We're uh, on downtown Tulsa on 10th Street between Maine and Boston on Historic Route 66. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for being on the Loki Podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And I hope people come to your shop and yeah. get coffee. Cheers, man. Thank you so much. All right. See you later. It's good to see you, man. Hey, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Low Key Podcast. If you guys are ever in the Tulsa area, go check out Foolish Things Coffee and go get a drink of coffee or something food-related on their menu. Guys, also go check out all their social mediums like Instagram, Facebook. Go like and follow and check out their website too as well. Also, go check out all our social mediums. Go like and follow us. And if you subscribe to us on iTunes, go write a review. And if you don't subscribe to us and listen to this podcast, 
Go subscribe to us. That's it in low-key land. Keep it nice. Keep it easy. Keep it low-key. Thank you.